Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. It's an honor and delight to be here with my teacher, Rabbi Yitzchak Blau, who is Rosh Yeshiva at Yeshiva Toraita, and also teaches at Midrash at the Lindenbaum. He's an associate editor of the journal tradition and the author of Fresh Fruit and Vintage Wine, The Ethics and Wisdom of the Agadah, a very profound teacher in my life who not only taught me basic skills, uh, but also taught me meta-philosophical lessons. So, Rav Blau, thank you for taking this time to talk. It's a pleasure to be here, Rav Shmuley. Thank you. So to jump right in, um, do you feel more aligned with the religious Zionist community in Israel or with modern orthodoxy in America? And how do these two camps support or challenge your thinking and identity differently? Sure. Before I get to the specifics, I just want to point out one important difference, that there's just a very wide range of post-high school institutions in Israel in the religious Zionist world, which don't have a parallel in America. For America, let's say you say, let's say we count YU, and then we count Chovei Torah, and then, well, where exactly does the count go? We talk about the Dati Lumi world, there's so many different institutions with so many different hashkafot at play. Okay, that being said, maybe I'll try to answer your question anyway. Um, the, the, for many years, I think the dividing line was different. That in Israel, if we, let's say, compare the Dati Lumi world with the Haredi world, the dividing line would be attitude to the state of Israel and armies. That was kind of its identity of being Datilumi. In America, for many years, you are you know, getting a secular education and your relationship with the larger society, with non-Jewish society. So it, it, it's interesting because in many ways, I think I'm more interested that my I think what uh, education is extremely important for me and a more positive attitude towards the broader non-Jewish world. At the same time, maybe since I've come to Israel, I've uh, grown to appreciate what the Dati Lumi world has to offer. Maybe I'll just mention two things, uh, especially with my kids, I've really experienced this. I guess maybe the biggest difference between Israel and America, I'd have to say it's, it's really my service. Meaning that if you're an 11th grade Orthodox kid in New York, you're thinking about college and career, that's what's on your mind. And if you're an 11th grader in Israel, college is not even on your radar, right? You're definitely going to some kind of Yehezder or Mechina or maybe just regular army. After those three years, okay, I'll go and explore South America for half a year. So uh, it's something very different, but I think it's a real challenge. And it's uh, in many ways, before you take care of yourself and do your own self-realization, you're giving three, five years to uh, your people. That's a powerful thing that I think, uh, you know, people in America could learn from. So I've, I've grown to really appreciate that. So, so you've obviously had many influences in your life, family, rabbis, religious figures. I wonder, uh, who are some of the philosophers, uh, uh, living or, or deceased, who, who, who you feel most shaped your Torah worldview and how? 
okay, just, are we talking about Jewish philosophers, non-Jewish philosophers, both? Most broadly, both, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, let me say, I, I think I'm the kind of person that doesn't really have like one thinker that's dominant. I'm a little bit more eclectic, but I guess the way I would formulate it is wisdom and insight are very precious commodities and we should just find them where we could find them. So to give you an example, both for Jewish and non-Jewish, uh, I think I'm really you know, not Hasidic and really not Haredi. And yet two of the people I find most insightful are Rav Yitzchak Kutner and Rav Sadek Kukwain from Lubin. And I think we can safely say Haredi, and we can safely say Hasidic, just so much even if they agree with me, at the same time, I, th I think just, as I said, we should find precious wisdom wherever we could find it. So I think there's been a wide range, even just give you one more example. For years, I think in my mind, the Rambam was kind of the good guy and the Kuzri was the bad guy. Because we had the Rambam's a rationalist and the Kuzri's a mystic. The Rambam doesn't essentially mention the Jew and the Jew and the Kuzri. And it's weird to appreciate any things the Kuzri contributes that the Rambam can't, uh, especially as you know, Rav Shmuley, you know, we've realized all the limitations of logic and rationalism in our world. And in some ways that makes the Kuzri a more important model than the Rambam. So I would say I, I really am trying to bring the good ideas of everybody. And same thing in the non jewish world, meaning I have philosophers, poets, certain essays, but I think it's real. Like even one more example, I'm really a man's person, not a person. But in recent years, those doctors who were able to write kind of as a humanist have affected me greatly. Like I think Atul Gawande's book about death and the immortal, one of the most important books in the last 50 years. Uh, Oliver Sacks has had a major impact on me. Jerome Grootman to some degree. So uh, I, I can't give you an answer, but I would say people out there, find wisdom wherever you could find it. Beautiful, beautiful, as, as, as Rambam himself says, I think in the Shemona Prakim, right? Yeah, well said, well said, Rosemary. Good reference. So, um, so, you know, many have suggested that Plato was wrong, at least on this point, that uh, those who know the good will do the good. Um, however, I wonder, nonetheless, how you might think a lack of sophistication in philosophy, or in Jewish ethics in particular, might lead to moral and religious deficiencies within our religious community today? It's a very good question. I, I think I would say the lack of ability to hold two opposing truths together, really, is something I think was great, that we have truths that can't fit seamlessly together, such as equality and, sorry, um, what's Berlin's example again? Equality. And freedom. And freedom, yes, equality and freedom. And uh, I'll use some examples that I think affect our community. Let's say universalism and particularism. The fact that we could feel very committed to helping the larger world than the Jewish world, and yet feel particular uh, allegiance and responsibility to our fellow Jews, I think a lot of Jews struggle with that. And then, unfortunately, on the right wing, and in more in orthodoxy, unfortunately, we forget the universalism. Right, we have just a sense of only our fellow Jews matter and uh, don't do uh, the things that are really about the ethics of broader society. Something to thank God you're that really. The flip side though, is in more liberal circles, and we feel like they're that somehow if we have any special concern for our fellow Jews, that that's a violation of some grand ethical principle. 
which I think is just ethically wrong. I think one could keep those two things together. And sometimes it's manifesting, particularly from LA, with like a, a special negativity to Israel, for this Israel, as if like, it would be embarrassing to feel in this way because it would be twisting. So that, I think, is something that everyone has to work on. Maybe on the right, you have to be more universalistic. And the left, you have to learn how to be more uh, particularistic. Uh, one other example of that would be in this, you probably suffer from more than me. Yeah, I'm amazed by the politics in America, as if uh, you know, think that having no problems in the world from the Democratic side, Democrats think that all the problems in the world are from the Republican side. I, I don't know a sophisticated thinker to think that. There's such a range of issues, and how can we get right about everything, the other party wrong about everything? It doesn't seem to me a reasonable position. Okay, one last example, Rashmi, if you don't mind. I would say even in ethical theory, you get the same thing. Okay, as you know, there are different ethical theories that are, you know, vying for our attention, be it consequential or Kantian or aristocratic. I think one of the reasons they're vying for our attention is because they all have a truth to them. And when we try to reduce it to one principle, it tends to not really reflect the depth of our ethical experience. So I would say, Rashmi, Sophistication, I would call, the need to be able to combine multiple values, multiple systems into a healthy whole. Beautiful. So I wonder, I wonder where we see the, the, this value of paradox you're talking about within traditional Jewish thought. I mean, Rambam talks about a golden mean based on Aristotle on moderation, and we have a, certainly an understanding of machlokit and a dialectical tension. But this idea you're talking about, which resonates for me a lot, um, of holding multiple truths at once. I wonder, I wonder where we see that in traditional Jewish thought. Look, you're, I'll say this, Rosh you're right that we wouldn't see it as much in terms of uh, from Judaism and but I think certainly as you pointed out, within the orbit of from Judaism, I think there's certainly very much an ethic of elu v'elu, about how discordant voices come together Right, the Archa Shulchan's Hakdama has this famous imagery of different voices or how you create a harmony. So that's your point is well, and you don't have as much as the larger world. But even if there are things, for example, I think Rev Cook was a very innovative and courageous thinker. And in my mind, one of the most important things about Rev Cook was realizing that you know, secular Zionism had something to contribute and something that wasn't found in the Orthodox community. Right, that's something, uh, it's an interesting thing when you get to modernity. There may be with the rabbis who kind of a less negative view of the secular Jewish community. But I think only Rav Cook was able to develop a more, not just we'll get rid of the negativity, a generally positive view of what they're doing, their dedication, their idealism, their commitment to justice, and to see that as a positive and even a corrective to certain trends in the Orthodox world. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So, uh, so Rav Blau, so, you know, I don't think we take either approach that we need to make every criticism public that we have of, of other religious figures or issues. But we also certainly don't, don't take the approach that we found in the Catholic Church, for example, of trying to sweep everything under the, under the rug. So I wonder, um, I wonder, what are some of the pressing moral issues that you think we should be publicly vocal about within our religious communities, where you think we need better moral clarity on? Issues where you think, um, you know, to state it sort of, uh, 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 strongly, um, where, where, you know, where we're really missing the mark. Um, and how do you think we can get there before it's too late? What, what are some of the changes we need to make? 
Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I think I'm going to be better at outlining the problems than suggesting good solutions, okay. but we'll start with that. Okay. Look, I, I think there are a couple of things. There are a couple of cases that seem to me moral no-brainers. Like, it's so obvious what the morally correct thing to do is. And we have not been great at it. Do with sexual abuse in our community, especially from rabbis and religious figures. Uh, and here, look, we don't have a monopoly on the problem. Obviously, the Catholic Church has had it, and the State University's football team. But at the same time, how could we create things up? How could we would let the prayers just move to the community and do it again? It just seems like an obvious thing that uh, we have to stop this, and uh, there's no excuse for such behavior. I think we have made some strides. Okay, there's, I don't know if you've had Shira Berkovitz on, but uh, she is a woman who has the institution called sacred diseases that do a lot of good things in this area. Uh, so that for me, that's a moral no-brainer. I would say also the Aguna problem. Without getting into the specific solutions, it's simply unconscionable that a man will torment his ex-wife by uh, not giving her a get for 20 years. And at least, even if you don't think a lot of exclusion exports, at least the community should go to some show and find any acceptance anywhere. Right, so it seems to me those are just moral no-brainers about uh, places where community has not been in the right place. I, I think we'd I'd start right there. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and I, and I very much agree with those examples. So I wonder, um, you know, as someone who who not only lives in other shvut, or, or I assume you still do. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and who learned that the gush and has been very obviously involved in the community. Um, what do you think is Rav Aaron Lichtenstein's greatest legacy? Um, you know, in terms of what he has modeled and left for us uh, as his Talmidim, um, Talmidot, and, and, um, and who do you view as Gadoling today? Um, you know, and, and okay. is that still the language we should be looking, using and, and looking for? Okay, well, you asked me a lot of questions I love to answer. That's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think for me, Rav Lichtenstein's legacy would be three things. One is people might not realize this, but even though the Shivat Hezder movement began before of Lichtenstein, it was more considered kind of a bidyevet for those that aren't serious enough for, you know, real yeshiva learning. And Rav Lichtenstein wrote a well-known essay, which has also appeared in English. In Hebrew, it was called Zotorat Hezder. In English, it's called The Ideology Hezder. Where he really the two truths. We're very committed to becoming Torah observant and knowledgeable Jews. But how could it be that religious Jews would just let the secularists do all the work? Right? How can it be okay? We don't have to be in the book of Lebanon or doing the computer of intelligence. We need to have So I think Wilkinstein in Israel really said that this is not a second-rate move uh, being involved in religion and the army. This is the ideal move. Right? That's what uh, we should be doing. Uh, I still think also in terms of America and Israel, he's probably the most powerful voice of the broader education. I think it's so true. It's interesting. Obviously cited, you know, Rudolf Otto and Karl Barth and Kierkegaard, but he never wrote about the value of them. There's no programmatic essay. He has several programmatic essays about his endeavor. So I think intellectually, those two main evolutions. As an ideal armed services ideal, and uh, the worth of a larger education. I'll just mention one last thing, and this really touches on your next point. For me, he was also just a model of you know ethical excellence, right? Just a human being. Like as I've grown older, 
perhaps they have more things I disagree with them on than I would 20 years ago. But that doesn't change the opinion of the man in the slightest. He was just humble and honest and decent. And we need more people like that. It brings me to your second question. Like, I wish I could give you a list. I feel like we don't have such greatness anymore. And maybe on some level, it's even a healthy thing in the sense that maybe sometimes too much faith on the Gdolim has been problematic. Okay, I think we see recently in the, even Rav Chaim Kanievsky on the Corona situation, a sense of you could be a very knowledgeable rabbi, but not know enough about a specific issue to really make a, a good call of a decision. So I wish we had greatness for that, but maybe we'll have a lot of good things that are great things. Beautiful. Um, always so um, insightful and inspiring for me. Uh, so I thank you so much. And um, friends, I hope you'll pick up uh, uh writings. And uh, and if you're of the right age, check out Yeshiva Yeshiva Doraita. Rav Blau, wishing you and your family lots of bracha and hatzlacha. Okay, to you too as well, Rav Shmuel. Great talking to you. Thank you so much.